Uh, now this year, all across America, today is called Pulpit Freedom Sunday. And this is the Sunday where churches all over America are standing up and intentionally endorsing candidates for office. Uh, it's their way to tell the IRS and the government to stick it. And uh, when I first heard about this, it was kind of a moral dilemma for me. Because on the one hand, I always look forward for an opportunity to tell the government to stick it. <laughs> on the other hand, it's just not who we are as a church. I have said this from day one, that Celebration Church, the one thing I wanted Celebration Church to be about was why we can be like-minded in the spirit that this is not about people who all think, act, and process, or look the same. I have always said, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Communist, Green Party, or Psycho. <laughs> you are welcome here. And uh, so that's just... Now, as you know, I will gladly speak about things that I think are of specific concern and challenge the leaders uh, about. A couple of years ago, I was very harsh on our mayor and local, uh, uh, what do you call those? Council members. They think they're Napoleon because they're a council member. Oh, you know. And they're passing, they're trying to use zoning laws to forbid churches and telling us what we can or can't do or who we can help or who we can't help. They were out of line. I condemned it from the pulpit. I wrote about it publicly in the newspapers. Um, and along with myself and many others, applied a lot of pressure on, on City Hall, many of them which are also Republicans. And they finally relented. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, they're just crazy. You know, the government has no business telling churches what they can or cannot do, period. I don't care what law you come up with. There's supposed to be separation of church and state. It means the state can't bug the church. It doesn't mean the church can't yell at the state. <laughs> so, uh, and then they, they backed off. And, uh, um, you know, a few months ago, I spoke against uh, the move that President Obama had done when he was trying to force Catholic organizations to hand out contraceptions against their religious beliefs. Beliefs that actually we don't share. We're not against contraception here. Uh, we believe in big families. I always say, you know, outbreed the pagans. But, uh, <laughs> but, it, but it wasn't our beliefs, but still it's outrageous. Out, he was out of line. The government has no business telling people of faith what they can or cannot do. And I spoke about it, so I don't have a problem with that. But beyond that, I'm not going to get into this thing about going down the line and endorsing this person over that person, all that kind of stuff. I don't have a problem with those churches doing it. God bless them uh, for doing it. I think that the, uh, uh, the laws are wrong, that the way they are. And, and there's some debate as to how much of a law it really is. It's just an IRS rule that these... This was instituted by uh, Lyndon Johnson, by the way. They introduced this law because there were some nonprofit organizations, not churches. This was never intended to be for churches. Nonprofit organizations that were criticizing him. So he put in a law. <laughs> they couldn't do that, you know. Uh, and then they always come up with these laws, and there's always unintended consequences. They always make a bigger mess of stuff than they ever intended to. 
So as a result, because churches fell under the same category as nonprofit, then that rule is applied to churches. Then churches were forbidden to say anything in the pulpit, uh, which has been pretty unbalanced in this country. I mean, if you're a black inner city church, man, they can talk about politics all day long, have politicians and no one says a word. If you're a white, they have a fit. And they threaten to take away our tax status. Uh, I think it's wrong. It's, uh, it's, it's very inappropriate. And it was never intended for that in the first place. So all these churches are doing this. They're actually filming themselves doing it. And they're sending the tapes to the IRS. <laughs> I think it's funny. But, uh, but and, you know, I just, I'm not going to go. I will say this one thing. Now, this is going to sound very partisan. I don't mean to be partisan. But let me challenge those of you who are Democrats, and we got a bunch in this church, uh, and, and people who listen to this show all around the country. Um, if there is a party that is getting really, from a moral perspective, so anti-God, it is the Democrat party. And you guys need to challenge your party. You need to get involved with them and say, what are you doing? Um, the truth of the matter is, if you are for the taking of an innocent, unborn child's life in America, you are most likely a Democrat. If you are pro-teenage girls having the right to have an abortion without the parents even knowing it, you are most likely to be a Democrat. If you are against prayer in school, you are most likely to be a Democrat. If you're pro-changing the traditional definition of God-ordained institution of marriage to include God knows what, you are most likely to be a Democrat. If you're opposed to any public display of faith, insisting that God be contained within the four walls of a church, you're most likely to be a Democrat. If you're for the government telling churches what they can or cannot do, you're most likely to be a Democrat. If you're for teaching school kids about condoms and safe sex, you're most likely to be a Democrat. If you're against teaching school kids about sexual abstinence and responsibility, you're most likely to be a Democrat. In short, if you are opposed to almost any traditional Christian moral value, you're most likely to be a Democrat. Now, this does not mean all Democrats think this way. They don't. And not all Democratic politicians think this way. There are some very staunch pro-life Democrats, intensely so. And God bless them all. But as a party, by and large, these statements that I just said are, in fact, true. And they're overwhelmingly true. If you're a Democrat, I would encourage you, get involved in your party as a Christian and start to influence them. I think as Christians, I don't think we need to all run away from stuff. I think we need to get involved and influence things, which we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. So that's about as far as I will go as a partisan thing, but even that is not really partisan, just a challenge to that. And it's not that the Republicans are so holy and righteous all the time either. I mean, the truth is, matter is they're both all a little crazy. The uh, old saying, which is true, you can always tell if a politician is lying because his lips are moving. <laughs> so uh, just chill out a little bit about it. I know uh, some people have been uh, instituting and calling for fasting and prayer for the election. I've had people ask, how come we're not calling for fasting and prayer for election? I'm not going to do that for an election. I just, you know, I think it's important, but it, I don't think we're at the point where it's, you know, listen. I hold two citizenships. I am a dual citizen person. My major citizenship is in heaven. I'm just passing through this joint. Okay? <laughs> well, I think these things are important, check your medication, okay? It's not going to be the end of the world. I don't care who, if so, no matter, I care, but whoever wins, all the way up and down the list on, in November, I'm still serving Jesus the next day. And it's not going to change my faith or how I approach life at all. 
So anyway, and by the way, this whole tax status thing, we have got, even if they did come out and really forbid us and start telling us what, we cannot sell our souls for tax advantage. If it was really that, I'd say tell them to stick it and we'll just pay the taxes. They have no right to tell us what to do. And whether or not you get a tax break for giving to a church should have no influence on whether or not you give to a church. The only reason you give us for a tax advantage, shame on you. Whether we get, and by the way, we're the only country in the world that does this. God bless America. It's great that they do it. But all the Christians around the world, they all give and sacrifice, do everything else. And they don't get tax breaks. We need to be the same way. We cannot sell who we are or our souls out for the advantage of tax status. And we can't be afraid of local municipalities or, you know, whatever. Oh, we're going to lose our tax. They're using this thing as a thing trying to beat up churches. First of all, we've got to quit being afraid of it. I don't think it's true. And even if they do, so be it. We're not going to sell out who we are and what we believe for advantage for some tax deal. Uh, it's just crazy. So anyway, look, the early century Christians were persecuted brutally for their faith, thrown to the lions. They lost everything. And they said, respect the government. And they had terrible governments. And Christianity spread like crazy. So it's not like Christianity or God is dependent on who is or who is not in office. I don't think God's in heaven going, oh no, look who's leading in the polls. I don't think he cares. <laughs> and if he does, that's up to him. But I'm just saying, just... Put it in perspective. I think it's important. Everybody should have an opinion. You want to know my personal opinions? Come ask me. I'll tell you. But just put it in perspective. I will say this. That is part of this church culture. You are not obligated to belong to any particular party or look like any particular person or make any particular amount of money. I don't care if you're black, green, purple, or whatever. In fact, the more diverse you are, the better it is. I think it's healthy. It's fabulous. It's not about everybody looking, feeling, sounding, thinking the same. Some of you have a lot of money. Some of you got no money. You know, those of you who have a lot of money, <laughs> help us out, all right? But just to get a clue, it doesn't matter. Some of you are all dressed to the nines. Some of you look like you just got out of bed. Some of you actually did just get out of bed. I don't care. We don't care about those things. I don't care what color you are, whatever your status is. Let's just be together and love God. And our greatest testimony to the world is not that we all think the same. The greatest testimony to the world is you can take a bunch of Democrats, Republicans, Independents, black, white, purple, tattoos, no tattoos, put them all in one room and they all love each other. That's when the world goes, wow, that's something. Peace. All right. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Let's talk about the Bible. That's why we're here. <laughs> Matthew, the ninth chapter. Now, we're going through the book of Matthew one verse at a time. Now, we actually are introduced to Matthew, who's writing this. Matthew, the ninth chapter, verse nine. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So, Matthew is a tax collector. Now, we just said disparaging things about <laughs> the IRS and governments and stuff. But when the Bible talks about tax collectors, they're not talking about that. In this day, if you were a tax collector, you were one dirty, rotten scoundrel. They considered these people to be traitors to their country. 
They are in cahoots with the Roman government. They are an occupied army. They are working and they're skimming the money off of these guys and making themselves wealthy. They became very wealthy, robbing people through taxation. And uh, they were highly despised. We're talking traitors. You can't get much more despised than someone that actually thinks you're a traitor to your own country, man. That's, that's what these people thought of these tax collectors. And Matthew, the guy who was writing these words, was one of those guys. And the Bible says, Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, I wish the Bible would give us more details. It, it doesn't because obviously at the end of the day, it's, it's not about that. But I'm fascinated that Jesus would walk up to these guys and say, follow me. And they just took off and followed him. These people had lives. They had families. They had jobs. They were deeply committed to their communities. Jesus comes along and says two words to them. Follow me. They get up. They leave everything and follow him. Wow. If nothing else, it surely gives us a picture that for us to follow Christ, it really calls for us to be willing to let go of everything. You can't come to Jesus with a laundry list. There's people say, well, I'll, I'll be a Christian as long as I can do this and I don't have to do that and I'm not going to wear that. Oh, I'll come to Jesus. No, you don't get to do that. You come to Jesus, he gets it all. Hands open, man. Total surrender. This is how this thing works. And we've been seeing that over and over again as we're reading through this New Testament. So Matthew got up, starts to follow him. Jesus said, hey, let's go to your house for dinner. So while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors came. You know, scoundrels all seem to hang out together. So all these scoundrels show up. and They're all hanging out with Jesus and, uh, and other sinners. Now, when the Bible talks about sinners... Uh, it elaborates a little bit later. He's talking about people who were uh, immoral, people who are drunkards, uh, women of ill repute, all the kind of people that the religious people stayed as far away from as possible, Jesus spent time with. And it freaked them out, the religious people. So he's eating with them and his disciples. And then in verse 11, it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he doing this? And make no mistake, this thinking exists to this day. In fact, the more, the more committed you are going to be to Jesus, the more likely you become thinking like a Pharisee. It's something we have to watch out for all the time. The challenge is for us to be in the world, but not of the world. Sometimes we think the only way to be of the world is not to be in the world. So we wall ourselves off and we don't really have anything to do with questionable people. How dare you spend time with those kinds of people? And we justify criticizing those. Well, I wouldn't hang with, I don't want to cause anyone to stumble, which is a bunch of horse manure. Biggest bunch of nonsense, this whole thing about not causing people to stumble. It's just your way of justifying walling yourself out from other people. I've never seen anybody stumble and fall away from Jesus because of you know, these so-called things these people come up with. But yeah, that's their, that's their cry. Oh, he's Christian. Oh, we can't cause people to stumble. So we become this little thing that we have nothing to do with anybody else. It is not helpful. We need to connect with people, all kinds of people. But we need to be the influencers, not the influencees. If you're hanging with people and they're influencing you to act badly, then you got to get away from them. Okay. But don't have a problem getting around people who are, don't think like you and aren't people of faith. And you get around people who cuss and stuff like that. They'll go, oh, I can't be around you because you cuss, you know. 
Now, if they get you cussing, then that's a problem. How about you live such a life that they feel uncomfortable cussing around you? Right? But without condemning them, I mean, just be nice and live out your faith. You know, I know people who, you know, I'll never go into a restaurant that serves alcohol, you know, which is getting harder and harder. <laughs> Pretty soon McDonald's will have McBeer, you know. But they feel very righteous. Oh, because they want to sell. No, you're just being a pinhead Pharisee, you know, seriously. Because that's exactly the kind of people Jesus hung out with. Uh, on occasion, uh, we get criticism from people because of some of the musicians that we have. Because they will see these musicians in the public places playing in bars and different things like that. Now, I have to understand, these people, they do this for a living. This is what they do. They don't have the kind of jobs you have. This is their living. They're very talented people. They play often in bars because these are the people who, just because they play in a bar doesn't mean they've you know, surrendered their morality. It doesn't mean anything. Looking the way Jesus was, if he played bass, he'd be in there playing with them. He purposely hung around people. Now, if they're in bars getting drunk and hitting on women, yeah, we got a problem with that, but they don't. They're just playing in the bars. That's what they do. This is how they make their money, all right? And don't be one of the, you know, we're, I, know a lot of, I know a lot of churches, a lot of churches think, I know have friends who are pastors who think this way. They never, ever, ever have anybody on their platform that isn't at the same status of an elder or pastor in the church. And uh, I don't think that way. I've never thought that way, and I refuse to think that way. Just because someone can sing doesn't make them spiritual. Just because someone can sing doesn't make them spiritual. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Doesn't make them holier than anybody else. Just means they can sing. Why is that person up there? Because they can sing. Well, I love Jesus. Why won't you let me sing? Because you can't sing. Man, if you got talent, bring it on. If you don't, for the love of heaven, stay there. this whole thing, well, you know, I don't appreciate the way they hang with it. You know, stop it. We should be seen among people of questionable character. <laughs> it's true, we should. Be nice to them. Influence them. Love them. Make them feel comfortable here. They come to my church. We'd love to have you come. You know, a lot of people don't want to come to church because they're afraid. If they, you know, lightning's going to strike them if they walk in the door or something, you know. Cause people need to know, man, you are welcome here. Someone said, you know, well, I'm upset because you had men who drank beer at the uh, men's event. You know, I said, oh, okay, then stay away. I'll take all the beer drinkers in Green Bay. <laughs> I want to sign out in front. Beer drinkers welcome. Sometimes people have problems. I often will hear from women, not so much anymore since I started talking about because y'all got quiet and good. But women who would complain about other women who come to church about the way they dress. Say, Pastor, you got to talk to that woman. Oh, she's dressing like a hoochie mama. You know, she just, them things are just hanging out all over the place. You know, just, just, you, know, you got to talk to her. I don't, I don't want because my husband's looking at that. Well, first of all, if your husband's looking at that, slap him. <laughs> Number one. 
Number two, I don't care. We need to say, well, she's dressed like a prostitute. I say, well, what are you going to do when prostitutes come? <laughs> Again, prostitutes welcome. <laughs> we should have Hooker Sunday. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Not to advocate that, just to love on these people. You know, it's, it's, you don't have to get clean before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you clean. People should know that when they are sick, they should be able to go to an emergency room. Can you imagine going to Aurora over here? Coughing and wheezing and someone stops you at the door and saying, you can't come in here, you're sick. No, sick people are supposed to be there. If there's anything Jesus was trying to teach is that, look, sick people are the ones who need help. Don't get freaked out because people of questionable character are around us. Again, we should influence them. All right, so anyway, uh, then verse 14, it says, then John's disciples, this is John the Baptist's disciples, came to Jesus and asked, why is it that we fast and, and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Now, these guys did fast often. Historically, they fasted t- two days a week. I think it was like every Tuesday and every Thursday. I presume they were skinny. And, uh, um, and that's what they did. And a lot of it was out of prayer and mourning, looking towards the Messiah. Well, then Jesus answers them, and he always answers them in a way that's not 100% clear. You can kind of see it from this viewpoint, but Jesus intentionally spoke in ways that people wouldn't understand what he's talking about, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. But what he basically is saying, look, the reason they're not fasting is they're not mourning for the Messiah. I am here. Okay? He doesn't use those words exactly, but that's what he means when he responds this way. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn when he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. We should fast as Christians, okay? If you never do that, you need to start doing it, okay? Start with a meal, do something. Uh, Learn to fast as a part of your expression of faith. But uh, when he was there, he said they don't have to fast because the bridegroom is with them. The Messiah is here, was what he's trying to say. But the more important thing for us is the next verse. He says, see, because what happens is when you start doing something that's different, people can't handle it. You know, your disciples do something different. How can you do something different? And Jesus said, look, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment because when they wash it, then it'll shrink and it'll tear. See, he says the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither people pour wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. He's using analogies here, basically telling people, be flexible. Quit freaking out. Again, it goes back to the very thing I started with this morning. We don't all have to look, think, sound, vote, feel the same. We need to be flexible. Don't be a bunch of all rigid, you know, wineskins. There's people like that. Religious people tend to be good, meaning people who love God tend to turn into wineskins, you know. You know, I can go to your church, you don't sing hymns. If you don't sing hymns, how can you possibly worship God, you know? You know, you pour a new song into them, they'll bust all over the place. Ah! Because they can't handle it. You know, stay a little flexible. 
Everything doesn't have to be exactly the same way. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't like me. I can't imagine why. Uh, because I'm different. When I first got here, there were people who just had fits. I said, I can't stand that new pastor. He gets up there acting like a clown. I said, I, I, I'm not acting. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm really this way all the time. Ask my wife. It gets really obnoxious after a while. People always say, is he always funny? This isn't funny 24-7. Because <laughs> irritating after a while. It's just, you know, what they wanted me to do was to act. Act like all the other pastors. And all the pastors have to look and sound and talk the same. What if we're not all supposed to talk and look and act the same? What if people aren't all supposed to be the same? What if you're not a mistake? What if God made you the way you are on purpose? Do you know how many tons of snow is on the earth right now? And out of all those tons, immeasurable tons of snow, scientists tell us that there are not a single snowflake that's the same as another one. God likes things to be different. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Can't quite tell where it's coming and stuff. God will often do things in ways that catch people unaware. Just look at the life of Jesus. They knew the Messiah was coming. They thought it was going to be a big stinking deal. He shows up in a barn. What? A barn? They had a hard time getting their heads around that. Jesus comes along and he's hanging with sinners. They thought he'd be hanging out with all the holy people in town. He's hanging with the, public, the, the tax collectors and the sinners and all the immoral people. And he's ministering to them. They couldn't get their head around. What are you doing? Always doing something that's a little bit different. We need to be flexible. And we need to be willing to embrace everybody and not be all rigid things. So, number one, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Don't get freaked out that oftentimes people who are very spiritually sick come to church. There are people who come to church and they're just a mess. Some of you sitting here, some of you watching right now, you're a mess. <laughs> you know you're a mess. Welcome to the family. <laughs> you know, it's great. You don't have to not be a mess to come here. So, well, I need help. Yes. Yes, that's the point of the doctor to help you. We want to help you get your life out of the mess category. Nobody likes being in the mess category. But you don't have to be fixed first before you come. And let's be tolerant of people. We will attract people sometimes that'll just raise your eyebrow like, whoa, look at that, you know. That's okay. We should have those kinds of, these people should feel comfortable coming in here. And we should be comfortable in connecting with them out there and loving on people. And then number two, just learn to be flexible. Everything doesn't have to be a predetermined way. And we don't all have to think, feel, look, earn, vote the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you that in you is great hope and great life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to identify with those that no one else would identify with. We thank you that you don't have to be clean to come to you, that we come to you and then you make us clean. Many of us, Lord, if we'll think back, 
we're pretty big messes ourselves when we first got here. Help us to always be compassionate to those who are struggling in life and to minister to them and to encourage them. And help us to be the kind of church, the kind of place where all people everywhere will feel comfortable being here. Because all of this at the end of the day is about you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.